This Choir Cast podcast episode is brought to you by Maria Francesca French, author of the newly released book, Safer Than the Known Way, A Post-Christian Journey. It's an exploration of the promise of faith from a post-Christian perspective. What does it mean to speak beyond binaries of theism and atheism, conservative and liberal fact and fiction? Why might a new type of theological imagination, one that defies categories in comparison with the challenge actual deconstruction offers, be all that is next? Here you will find a compelling read of story and personal journey with strong scholarship and deep theology, significant and transformational thought that has lived in the ivory tower for too long but made accessible and resonant. Read along as the tables are turned, head towards a horizon with no line and follow a compass that doesn't point north. Prepare to be beckoned by ghosts and travel a path unknown because to go out into the elegant chaos of all that might be waiting for us after Christianity while still engaging in meaningful faith is safer than all that might be considered certain. If you have moved past traditional notions of God beyond mechanisms of belief and find yourself relentlessly curious about what might be next, this book is for you. This and more in my new book, Safer Than the Known Way, a post-Christian journey out now. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Hey, heathens. You're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast, where religion and crime collide. I'm Lola. I almost said Lacey. (laughs) And I'm Lacey. (laughs) And this shit is devastating. Very, very devastating. Hey, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Deathly Faith. We're excited to be here. Are we? Yeah, I know. We're excited to be here and to talk with you guys. We're not excited about this episode. There will not be a lot of um, joking. Probably none. This is a very devastating case. And we just kind of want to... Just table the the comedy. I just don't, I don't even know that we can muster it up. We all kind of, both of us have been on edge. All day. Talking about this all case day. and bringing this up <laughs> and actually doing an episode on it. And so, yeah. Also to prepare, I've been listening to different documentaries on this and researching so much. Awesome. So much. I, I have listened to and seen things that, no one can come back from. Yeah. Yeah. And by this point, you guys know exactly what we're talking about because we're already You've seen on the, the title. <laughs> yeah. You've seen the title. You know what's happening. I'm talking about 9-11 because, yes. you know, it's classified as an act of terrorism. That's what it is. But it's not really classified under true crime stories. Right. Not a lot of people talk about It should them. be. Yeah. It's... It's so it's weird because it see it's set like in a different class. It seems right. Uh, that's like a little bit worse than true crime, but like I don't know, it's the same thing. Like we said at the beginning, like we are going to cover all types of religions. We are not just covering Christianity on this podcast, and so we just you know this is one of those cases, and it is involving religion. But like we say on all episodes, that this is not a reflection of the specific religion that we're talking about. Like, yes. we know that these crimes are uh, spawned from radicalism, ex- extreme religious horrific thing. Th- nothing that's actually what what the religion stands for. Exactly. And there are Christian cases, true crime cases, that are prime examples of this. And 
take any cult, like Jonestown, anything. Like you can literally take anything from, you know, true crime, Christianity related cases. And we know that it comes from the more extreme side of the religion. And that is not an accurate reflection of all branches and denominations of Christianity. It's the same way when we talk about any other religion. It doesn't mean that this is a reflection on every single religious person in that religion, if they have denominations or or whatever it may be. Um, and so please, we ask, do not take us covering this case. Do not take it as a reason to hate or judge people of other religions, especially Muslims. Yes. They've already suffered enough. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think Lola will cover some of this in this episode. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you'll learn how amazing actually the Muslim religion can be when not taken to the extreme. And I think there's a case for that for Christianity as well. Um, even though we both don't subscribe to that religion, like there can be a case for it being beautiful. There's good things about almost anything. Right. You know, but there's equally always something bad. I mean, it, and that's part of what, I don't know if I want to say this, but like just in general, I take the belief that we have good and bad as a balancing act. And that's Mm. what, you know, like you have to take each piece with every portion of life. Bad doesn't have to mean crime, though. (laughs) That can just mean, oh, this is an unfortunate circumstance or I am not feeling happy about this or this makes me feel this way. I see what you're saying. The bad and the good can exist yin and yang, you know? Yes, I'm getting all yes. tree hugger on us now. You you are, that's okay. I love your tree hugger self. Thanks. You're welcome. I watch you really quick. This is going to come out way further down the line, but we posted today, or no, not today, this week, we posted the um, Joshua Duggar case. And somebody commented on Instagram asking us to kind of give um, like a rundown of each case. And that just gives you guys the opportunity to kind of know what the case is about prior to listening to it. So what we've decided to do is we're going to give a small summary of the case in the show notes, as well as in the description of the post that we post to Instagram with the pictures corresponding to the case that we're covering. And we will also give a list of trigger warnings for that case, as well as like we'll kind of tell you what kind of murder is involved if murder is involved. So like murder, but not torturous, torturous, violent. Sexual assault. Yeah. Or or if it involves crimes against children or or whatever. Animals. Animals, yeah. I don't ever want to cover a case against animals. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I was thinking even when there's like, because spoiler alert, we'll give you guys some good news. I don't know if this is good news, Mm. but we have decided that for the month of October. Spooky, spooky, spooky. Spooky season. We're going to have a theme and we've decided serial killers because why not? <laughs> so, Ta-da! <laughs> so uh, we're going to be covering that in um, in October. Every single Tuesday will be a new serial killer. So no cults that month. No cults, no like... No cults. Terrorist acts, nothing yeah. like that. It'll we're just be... Serial killers, straight up. Straight up serial killers. We're doing pretty spooky ones too, I think. We have, yeah, we have some pretty creepers. Um, Those are going to be pretty heavy cases. We have the iconic ones. There are a few in there that involve animals um, and for small sections, but we will give a, I I don't know that I'll go into like major detail. I'm talking about the cases that I'm going to be covering. But I think when it gets to like the really big, um, 
gruesome parts or torturous parts, we'll kind of say, okay, skip ahead 30 seconds, two minutes, whatever, to kind of give, if you still want to listen, but you don't want to hear the gruesome parts. But with all that being said, let's jump into today's case. Lola. Let's get into it. Take us on this journey. I don't want to. Okay. I know. <laughs> on the- Guys, I chose this case. She didn't she force did. me. I did not give so, her this case. I'm she sorry. I'm it. acting like this is very uncomfortable and being forced on me. It's not. I. It's uncomfortable, but it was definitely not forced. <laughs> I'm honored to be able to talk about this and shed light on it. You know, it's just hard. I'm going to be transparent with you guys. I, Lacey knows that I cried like 20 minutes before we started recording. Yeah. Sobbing into my fiance's arms. And I kept saying... Yeah, was it, why was it worth it for them? Like, wh- what was the yeah. point? What was the reason? <laughs> right. Let's get into it. On September 11th, 2001, nearly 3,000 people were killed. 400 were police officers and firefighters in the terrorist attacks at the World Trade Center in New York City, at the Pentagon Building in Washington, D.C., and a plane crash near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Mm, that's so many people. So much. It, it was a lot of damage. These terrorists hijacked four commercial planes to carry out a suicide terrorist mission, attacking a major city and government buildings. This was a religiously and politically charged mission. Firstly, I just wanted to ask, because uh, there is about a 10-year age gap between us. Yeah, like seven. Is it seven? But you're 25, right? I'm 30. Yes. I turned 33 in like two weeks. Okay. So, Lacey, where were you on 9-11? I was 11 years old on 9-11. And I was um, in uh, PE because it happened early in the morning. And in junior high, we had PE in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting in uh, the gym and a teacher came in and she told our like uh, coach what was going on. And instead of working out that day... She took us back to her classroom and we turned on the news and we just watched the entire thing unfold. And at that time in junior high, you were switching classes and every single class, you just sat and watched the news. Oh my God, you watched it all day. We watched it all day. And I just want to say like how fucking traumatic that was for 11 year olds to watch that because I remember sitting in class and there was a girl beside me bawling her eyes out because we're literally watching the towers before they completely fall. And we're watching people jump to their deaths. You're watching people die. We literally... That's exactly what's happening, like, before your eyes. live TV at 11 years old. Some of them were probably 12, but literally 11 and 12-year-olds were just... Why would they have y'all watch that? That's just... I know that they were also in shock also, you know, like... I think they were in shock and... They also didn't know what was going to happen. No one knew what was happening. Yeah. I don't think anyone expected people to jump out of the windows. They did not because they didn't know that all the exits had been blocked. I'll get into that. Yeah. And so I don't think our teachers did this maliciously, like at all. No. I think it was they were in shock and just wanted to sit there... And, Come on, and con- better like, judgment. They wanted to know, right? They wanted to know what was going on. Of course, um, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. But I, I don't know 
anyone around my age that even went to other schools. Like, and you guys comment on our Instagram posts that we post pictures about this because I want to know anybody else, like what, what grade were you in and where were you when this happened? And like, did you watch it on the news all day long? Because so many people I know from so many different schools did the exact same thing. Well, I'll tell you where I was. I was three years old when it happened. (laughs) I was about to turn four. He's a baby. I was just a child, really. Mm -hmm. And my mom had taken me to the church building where we attended. And she was teaching a Bible class to kids. And she was doing her like prep work for like the crafts that she had made for them. Yeah. And so I was coloring a page and she was busy cutting stuff out. And the office secretary lady from our church came in and said, you need to come look at what's on the TV, but leave Lola in here and just come with me into this other room. And they went into the room and they watched everything happen. And so after that, uh, they locked up the church and just, we all went home. I don't know what happened after that because I know that my mother was shocked and she was, she immediately went and got my sister out of school too. Oh, wow. I mean, and it makes sense too, because we had no idea what to expect or no one had any idea mm-hmm. who's next, what's next. Like what was the full plan, you know, right. for, for this whole attack? Was it every state where they sending people everywhere? And this was just the morning ritual. Was there more to come in the afternoon? Right. And it all, it didn't happen within just a couple of minutes. It was over a, a good lengthy period of time in the morning. And so... It began at around 8.30 and I think it around 10 was around the end. Yeah, so that's just So it was like, like there were gaps of time in between where people were trying to make sense. Everyone at first just thought it was a fire that had happened in like an explosion of some sort that happened in the North Tower. And so... They told everyone, go back to your desks. But anyway, I'll get into the story of it. Oh my gosh. So you actually remember that moment at three years old? I remember color. I remember what I was coloring. It was crazy uh, to me. That's It was like David with a sheep. That's like a cartoon little version of it, obviously. (laughs) I don't think it will ever not blow my mind when people can remember that young in their life because like there is a lot of my childhood that I've blacked out. And I remember bits oh, and pieces. Oh, I have to for sure. Yeah. My husband there's some moments like, that stick. Oh, my husband's like, I remember this and this. And I'm like, how the hell do you remember all that? Like, <laughs> I there's so much of my childhood that I'm like, whatever. If I blacked it out, I blacked it out on purpose. I don't really care. My sister saved me from getting hit by a car. And I remember that. And I was five when that happened. I remember like really major events. Yeah. Core memory. Pivotal. Okay, let's go. So uh, the planes that were involved uh, was American Airlines Flight 11, United Airlines Flight 175, American Airlines Flight 77, and United Airlines Flight 93. Flight 11 hit the North Tower. Flight 175 hit the South. Flight 77 hit the Pentagon. And Flight 93 crashed into Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So let me just give a little bit of background. These hijackers had, this was premeditated, obviously. You had to have a plan. You had to know how to fly a plane. You had to know how to take over the plane. Right. How to intimidate the passengers and how to uh, control the flight attendants. So 
pretty much a, a year before 9-11, they sent a bunch of these people that were part of Al-Qaeda to uh, go to flight school in the United States and to place residency in the United States. So some of them had visas. Some of them were like vacation visas. Wow. Things like that. Or student visas. So that they could go to school and learn how to operate. I mean, they weren't learning how to operate like necessarily commercial airline stuff, but they did attend flight school where they could like learn the basics of operating. Because what they needed to do was reroute the planes. They needed to do like, one of them had to do a U-turn. The other one had to do like uh, a 90 degree turn and then nosedive. You know, some of them, it was kind of a straight shot, but they, they had to maneuver a bit in order to fulfill this mission. So they learned all of this in America. We taught them. We taught them. Wow. Yeah. So that's gross. Mm-hmm. So they all board the planes, obviously. <laughs> they, they have like certain people that are set in certain sections for a reason. So some of them were in first class and some of them were in business okay. or economy or whatever. Yeah. Like they were all in different sections of the plane so that they could each take over a section. Let me just start. I'm kind of going in order of the planes, honestly. Okay. Also, most of the hijackers, uh, at the time, it was legal to get on a plane with a blade that was less than five inches. I can't wrap my head around that. Four or five inches. So you could get a, a box cutter or a pocket knife. You could bring that. Even some small daggers. That is shocking to me. But I never flew until after 9-11. And so all I know is flying post 9-11. So I had nothing to compare it to. No. But I also am like, why would you allow that? But that's also my post 9-11 brain. Yeah, I don't see the purpose for allowing it because there's nothing like of utility Mm -hmm. that you would really need a knife for, in my opinion, on a plane. My... I have friends that are flight attendants and they also are like, "Mm, we don't need any of that. So there's not, uh, it just seems unnecessary. So they, all of them boarded the planes with knives. They did not use guns. The hijackers on flight 11, they they stabbed two flight attendants. They, They stood up after they were, they had waited till the plane was fully in the air at its highest point that it was supposed to, be at. Yeah. Uh, for them to... Their altitude. Hit the cruise control. I don't know what... Elevation. Elevation. That's it. I think Whatever. That's it. We sorry. are not plane people, obviously. We are not flight attendants. I'm so sorry for all of my flight attendants and pilots out there. Just so sorry. The biggest connection I have is my husband has flown a plane a couple times. That's it. That's so cool. What? I know. He really he wants to get his pilot's license. Really, uh, really bad. Do it. Yeah, I know. Do it. And then we'll all go on a plane ride, but safely. And without knives. It's very expensive. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, so the hijackers on flight 11 stabbed two flight attendants at the point where they had reached elevation, and they used mace to spray the air around the passengers and flight attendants so that no one could breathe very well or see. Oh, God. So it rendered everyone useless, honestly. Mm. Even if you were not directly in the spray, you could smell it and it would affect you and... It was very hard to breathe in an enclosed space like that. Right. So they gained control of the cockpit. We are not sure how they did that, I assume, by threat or physical force with the knives. Mm -hmm. They did not immediately murder the pilots. 
So they gained control of the cockpit. They made a huge U-turn, and they crashed into the North Tower. At that point, if you listen, so in the show notes, we're going to link a documentary where you can hear all of the dispatch of the people that are air traffic control, and Mm. they're kind of in charge of everything, and they're making connections with the pilots and everything. I want you to know that the reason that they are so casual in the first tower or the fir- the first hearing of, hey, I think we're being hijacked is because hijackings are common, unfortunately. What? They are common, yeah. So normally it's that they want money. So it's not that they want to kill anybody. They It's normally a safe landing and they hold the people on the plane hostage and they say ransom kind of thing. Why are such and such money to the Caymans Islands? Not to say that that's like a a good thing, but like they there was a protocol set in place for hijacking. They did not know this was a terrorist act. So they're just thinking, follow protocol. We got it. Don't worry about it. You know, so they're staying very calm in this whole time. Once the plane had actually crashed into the, the North Tower, that's when it became, uh, oh, shit. This isn't what we... This, This isn't what a a hijacker typically does because they're dealing, they've dealt with American hijackers, you know, that are like not with a a plan of killing, really. Yeah. In the name of religion. So everyone that sees the first tower hit from below and everyone in the building that wasn't killed immediately Mm -hmm. think that it's just a fire. You hear on dispatch, okay, bring in all your fire units, like everything you got, bring it here. Because there was an explosion or there was a fire. We don't know. We don't know what's happening because it was so fast. You guys don't understand how fast a plane goes. Right. I just can't imagine being in that building and like what it would have felt like. What did it feel like? Really? What did it feel like when that that plane hit? It had to have shook, but like if it didn't, then that's a strong fucking building. I mean, it was made of steel frame, you know? Right. Like that shit don't budge. And it was re- like super reinforced. I mean, these were incredible buildings. I should also, I- I'm going to go into more about the North Tower in a minute, but okay. unfortunately, um, where the plane had entered, it was kind of near the top, not really quite in the middle, but Mm -hmm. near the middle. So it cut it almost in half, therefore blocking a lot of exits. So it it completely cut off the stairwell and the elevator shaft was damaged. So the elevator would no longer work. And also jet fuel was being like piping hot jet fuel was running down the elevator shaft. So it was killing the cables anyway. So even if the shaft wasn't, decimated cables were fucked up and also it's hot yeah it's hot it will kill you like it is hot oh my god and highly combustible might i add yeah so not not an option anymore oh my god that makes sense so it's running down the elevator shaft it's running down yeah down to the bottom of the entire building exactly shit and that is why people jumped because they realized there's no way out of this. And they didn't know 
I'd hate to think about the things that you question, but I imagine one thought was, what does it feel like to die by fire? I would have jumped. thousand percent, I would have jumped. I believe I would have jumped as well. There was absolutely no shame in the people that did it. And I feel absolutely horrible that they mm-hmm. had to do that or felt they had to do that. I feel like the more I know now out of all of the true crime cases and stuff that I've looked into, I, I do know, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong. They will. <laughs> <laughs> they will. I'll actually look this up while you keep talking. But I'm pretty sure the smoke will kill you before the fire even gets to you. Yes, it puts you to sleep too, kind of. Yeah. And so I think if I would have known that at the time, I think I would have been like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and die. But in a panic, you're not thinking logically, even if you no, knew that that beforehand. But also like just jumping and dying, like you're dead like that. Like you, there's no surviving that jump. So it would just yeah. be, you, you're done and it'd be so fast and you wouldn't have to suffer. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I mean, jumped. After after the North Tower was hit, immediately the military was notified that we need to send out fighter jets to try to take out the planes, you know. Yeah. We need to figure out what's happening. Really, they meant to get them out before it hit anything. Right. But it was sent too late. They were sent after, which no one was preparing for this. No one had any idea, any inkling that this was happening. So I know that they probably prepared as best they could, as quickly as they could, but it was just in vain. Can you imagine being the person in that fighter jet? I know. And being told you have to shoot down that American plane because it has terrorists on it. And you know, know that you're about to kill a ton of Americans. The the people that you're supposed to protect. Oh, the people that you're part of. That's yeah. your community. That had to be a hard thing for um, those pilots as well. That crashes, obviously. So flight 175 is the next one. The hijackers... I don't really know if they did anything to the uh, flight attendants. I assume that they probably did. But I do know that they immediately murdered the pilots. And this is on the second plane, correct? This is the second yeah. plane, yeah. So flight 175, <sighs> uh, they murdered the pilots and took over the cockpit very quickly. Um, but flight 175, this is one that it didn't have to deviate from its path super much, mm-hmm. not a whole lot. So it did not raise any red flags to anybody uh, when they were watching this plane. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't notice for a while. And then suddenly it took a hard left turn and a nosedive. And that's when they realized it's headed back to the towers. It's going to hit the towers. And did they know that it was hijacked at this point, right? They found out in the midst of it doing that. So like doing they, that. Okay. Okay. they were losing contact with, uh, this is probably wrong. No, I don't know how to say it. Pretty much the exact location of the planes was turned off by the hijackers, but they could still see them on a different system. Like a like radar a thing, system. Yeah, like a radar system. So they still okay. had like an inkling of where they're at and what path they're taking. So... Okay. They just didn't have exact coordinates and they were trying to make contact. I mean, constantly trying to make contact with these planes. Yeah. And to no avail. Right. The the plane headed for the South Tower and it crashed. That one, it felt like or it looked like it went so much faster than the other one. And its explosion was like super fiery, super fiery. Wow. 
I believe that this was purposeful in the way of which they crashed. Like no. the position, uh, which I don't know if this is real or not. Maybe it is. Right. But immediately in rewatching the footage, I was like, well, obviously, if you'd want to take out the full tower, why would you just hit the top? Yeah. You'd hit the middle and you'd let it fall. Right. It would do the work for you, you know? Yeah. And it would take a while to to burn through the steel, but like with how hot that jet fuel is and how easily combustible it is, I mean, one little ignite sets the whole thing off. With this one being more fiery, it makes me think that the jet fuel exploded on impact. It did, yes, for sure. Yeah, okay. So it was melting the uh, steel beams that were the main part of the structure that held the integrity of the building. Okay, so my husband forges. Do you know what that is? Yes. Yeah, so my husband forges. He has a forge and everything. And like... Amazing. I think it's so hot. It gets so hot. When he makes a blade, like I... That just puts it into a major perspective of like how fucking hot this was to just melt the steel beams. Like... I mean, literally. Oh my God. It took it a while to eat through, but... Unfortunately, it did. And that's when you saw the towers fall. And the debris took out so many people that were just... Not only did all these people in the buildings that went to work, just a normal day, just went to work. They all died. And then on top of that, the debris that fell crushed so many people on the street that were already mm-hmm. evacuating. They thought they were safe, but mm-hmm. no. And the people that were just standing watching or trying to give some aid to the people that were evacuating, trying to help mm-hmm. law enforcement and firefighters to figure out what's happening, you know? Yeah. It was just devastating, really. As you're talking about this, I literally see it in my head. And I see the pictures of all the people trying to run away. And they're literally just covered in ash and debris. It blanketed people. Oh, it was widespread. It was an absolutely horrific mission that they uh, Mm. sought out. It really really got me to in the documentary that is in the show notes. He says, each time that the the planes hit, he says, uh, no souls survived on impact. God. And it's just, I don't know why hearing that completely guts me, like rips yeah. me open and guts me. Do you know how we know the information from the first flight? Like them stabbing the flight attendants? There were people on the phone. Okay, okay. Someone, I uh, she wasn't a flight attendant. She was a passenger. She had called 911 dispatch oh. and was saying what was happening. I think she got reconnected to the actual like flight dispatch and they were talking with yeah. her. I could be wrong. It's in this documentary though. Her phone call is in there if you want to listen to it. Jesus. But she says, somebody got stabbed. We don't know who stabbed who. It's a flight attendant. And then she's like, oh no, they're coming back here. I have to hang up. She hangs up. She calls right back again whenever they're like past her or whatever. Right. And she's like trying to give them more information about what these people look like, what they're saying, who's bleeding She's like, oh, no, they've taken over the cockpit. Or like, I don't know where the pilots are. The pilots aren't coming out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and I just want to add a side note for the fucker Ada. I remember his name, but I don't remember 
anyone else's name that was part of this hijacking because you can fucking rot, you piece of shit. Like, I just want to say that, like, I would dance on your grave if you had one, but you don't even deserve one, you piece no. of shit. Just got to say Not that again. <laughs> Before you move on, I'm going to... um actually retract my statement by saying that I would, you know, if I just died by the smoke inhalation, I'm going to retract that. And I would have jumped a thousand percent, especially knowing what I know now. It says a fully developed indoor fire can reach or exceed temperatures of 1100 degrees. Shit. Fahrenheit. Now, I'm assuming they're talking more of like fires not caused by jet fuel. Well, but yeah, they can get even hotter. I so, assume these would be hotter. Yeah, exactly. It says even one breath of this very hot air can be lethal. Inhaling superheated gases can burn your respiratory tract, whether or not the gases present are toxic. Wow. No, thank you. I would have jumped wow. to my death. See, th- that makes sense discussion. why so many people were doing that. I mean... Disgusting. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. To the fucker named Ada? <laughs> or whatever your name is? I don't I don't even give a fuck. You're a fucking idiot because he... <laughs> he's just so fucking stupid. Which I'm happy he was. Cause I thought you were done with Ada. That's why I like jumped in sorry, with that thing. No. I did not realize you were I'm doing that. I'm so done. sorry. I'm, I'm so not sorry. I'm okay. done with Ada. <laughs> Let's learn oh, about this asshole. <laughs> bring him back. Let, pull the fuck up. Like, let's talk. Honestly, let's let's talk. Um, what did he do? He's kind of stupid because <laughs> uh, he was trying to intercom. He was trying to just talk to the passengers and oh. tell them, we're taking over, stay in your seats, don't make any moves. This is what's happening. We're going to land here. Like, he's trying to soothe the crowd and tell them what's happening, pretty much. Okay. Thanks for keeping everyone fully informed, idiot. Um, because you also let our dispatch know. <laughs> because That's you don't know funny. how to fucking use an intercom, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> and was this the second plane? This was the first plane. Oh, the he first was, plane. He okay, was on flight okay. 11. He was flight supposedly 11. like the leader of this whole thing. This whole like dumbass. orchestration. And oh my God, you're so stupid. <laughs> but thanks for letting us know because... It kept us all much more informed than what we would have been. So, right. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just thought that was so funny that, like, he didn't mean <laughs> to, to call dispatch, dispatch, but they were like, Flight 11, you're calling in, Flight 11. Hello? And they heard him on the intercom saying those things, and they were like, Oh, they're being hijacked. Oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. So, anyway, that's crazy. Had to get that out of the way because I've just, my blood's been boiling about this person. <laughs> right. I'm literally turning red like... She is. I can confirm. I don't hate people. He's not people. There's a select few. It's not real humanity, you know? No. Absolutely not. G- garbage. Garbage. Mm-hmm. So Flight 77 is the third one. Okay. This one, they were able to track it. You know, they were they were starting to like look into every single plane and watch their path very closely. So Flight 77, they were noticing this one was changing path and... Deviating. Yeah, it was deviating. It was changing path and it looked like it was headed towards the Pentagon. So Mm. thankfully, they were able to evacuate a good portion of the building. However, it didn't work fully because there were 64 people on the plane. Unfortunately, they did pass. They on impact, yeah. and then another 100 and 
God, was it 42? Another 100 or so people were left in the building, did not make it out, and did die. Oh, my gosh. Not only that, there were several just wounded from, like, flying debris. Because, like, the impact in which it hits, it throws debris at such a high velocity that, like, it can kill you if it hits you in the head or something. Or, like, it can slice your arm off. Like, it was... Not like, oh, I got hit with dust. It was nothing <laughs> like that at all. So yeah. it was glass. It was horrible because it's a it's a fucking building. Right. <laughs> that's that's being demolished. So mm. Flight 77, unfortunately, did complete its its target, but it didn't get as many people as it wanted to. Right. Our last plane is Flight 93. Uh that target was the White House. The passengers on board. They had caught wind. They had been on the phone. They had, they're understanding what's happening. Right. And it gives me chill bumps. Yeah. Because they didn't fucking go down without a fight. They, they saved so many people. They saved so many people. So many. Like, those are the real ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you all are, but Flight 93. <sighs> so a lot of them did get hurt. They did get stabbed. They did they fought for the cockpit. They said, we're taking back our power. You're not going to complete your mission today. Like, yeah. not not like this. They realized they were not going to make it out. Like, they all yeah. knew this is it. So they really took that and they, they saw an opportunity to save others. That's exactly what they did. And goddamn, they rerouted these people that <laughs> none of them knew about planes, probably. Like... <laughs> I don't oh know. Gosh. Maybe some of them did, but like majority, I feel like it's safe to say to not know how to reroute a plane or take back any kind of control from a terrorist group, you know? And, and if you, <laughs> it is not like driving a car. I can no. say that. Um, <laughs> if you have ever been in a plane or at least seen the inside of a cockpit, there are buttons galore. 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 <laughs> and and the, even the handles, like you... You pull up and you, you push down. And, and it is... It's not like a steering wheel. No, you're doing the complete opposite of what your brain has taught you to do with a car. When I was in college, the family that I lived with in college, uh, the dad had a little Cessna plane and we would go flying a lot. And so like he would let us take the wheel and, and do it. And it is the weirdest thing. And that's like a small little like four-seater Cessna, not anything... I kept freaking... So there's no telling what a commercial airline looks I, like and I would, operates. I'd have been shit in a brick if I had to try to figure out how to do that in a But I tell you, they, they did it though. They rerouted and unfortunately, they also did not make it out of out alive. None of them did. They crashed into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. That did not hit a building. It was in a field. No one was hurt other than the people on the plane. They basically were like, we're not going to get out of this alive. We're taking our power back and mm-hmm. we're going to just save everybody else on the outside and we'll put it down wherever we can. And Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's what they amazing. did. They did it successfully and we're forever grateful for that. For sure. So not one person survived. No. Out of all the airplanes. No. Mm. And uh, hearing the panic on some of the calls. Don't listen to that documentary if you're not ready to hear panic in people's voices yeah. when they actually realize that this shit is not a normal hijacking. This is 
like people are dying and dying quickly. Mm -hmm. And we are currently like, what can you do? You don't have control over the planes. It's not, it's not a Logitech controller. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you went there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, but it's not like you don't, it's not like a video game. You can't just stop it. You don't have control of the planes at all unless you're on them. So yeah, it's just that helpless feeling of we can't do shit until we get military involved, but military mm-hmm. doesn't know where to go next. You know, like mm-hmm. the the communication was off. We did the best we could. Right. I'll say for for the circumstances, we had done the best we could, but we just were not prepared for something like this. And mm-hmm. not on this kind of scale, even. No, yeah. I'm sure they were prepared for some kind of terrorist attack, but not that widespread. Yeah. So I want to go into the Twin Towers for a second and just like talk about that for a second. Firstly, any given day, there was up to like 50,000 employees that worked in the Twin Towers. And then an additional literally thousands would pass through it just every day, just to and fro, you know? Yeah. Up to like 40,000 people would pass through in a day. I don't know if this is a very dumb question. What was what was the kind of work done in the Twin Towers? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you because I... Okay, great. Because I literally had no, I have no idea. And well, I'm sorry if that's disrespectful, but like, I'm really done. No, 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 it's not. I was never okay. told this either. I never knew this. Even like in school when on 9-11, we would talk about it like the full week and like right. watch the stuff. I don't know. We It was built in 1970, the World Trade Centers. Um, mm-hmm. They housed more than 430 companies. And they had like just a wide variety of commercial activities that was banking, finance, insurance, transportation, import and export companies, customs, brokerage, trade uh, stuff, and then representatives from foreign governments. So it was a lot of like important things happening there. It was a hub of like they had federal stuff happening. They had government employees, but they also had other commercial things happening outside of that realm of government. So a lot of important work was done there and handled there. So it, it was a big deal. And it makes sense why they targeted right. that. Also, we were very proud of the Twin Towers. They were, yeah, we were. They were super cool and amazing yeah. and built in a super cool way. And fuck them. Anyway, so <laughs> after the September 11th attack... Uh, on the World Trade Center, the rescue and recovery cleanup of the 1.8 million tons. If you don't know how much a ton weighs, go Google it. 1.8 million tons of wreckage. Jesus. Uh, It took nine months to clean up. I'm surprised it only took nine months. I actually feel like that's really good. I feel like that's fast as fuck. But also, a lot of people came and helped. A lot of people volunteered. This was not just like your standard cleanup crew from the state. This was people from all over and neighboring states. They came to help. They they were ready to aid this community that had been hurt and make it safe again. So amid the cleanup, only 18 people were rescued alive from the rubble. Under 20? Mm Mm-hmm. Jeez. Think about the thousands of people that worked there, the thousands that were still in the building that had not yet evacuated. Can you imagine being one of those 18? I'd love to meet them. Right? Shake their hand, give them a hug, give them money, whatever. Right? Yeah, uh, cases of post-traumatic stress were super, super common 
after Mm -hmm. this with especially the rescue workers, the things that they saw, people were cut in half. People were, there were limbs. There were, Mm -hmm. it was not a pretty sight. It wasn't just a bunch of wreckage. It was bodies. Oh, I just can't. Charred, crushed. I just can't. It makes you face your mortality in a super different way because you see how fragile we are. We feel strong. You know, right. when we're healthy and fine, we feel so strong and we feel and like invincible in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, we are the tiny speck on the earth and we build mm-hmm. things that are so much bigger than us and are surrounded by things that are so much bigger than us. It's like you don't put it in perspective a whole lot how quickly your life can be taken. Yeah. And it's one thing to like cover these kind of like true crime cases or even like serial killer cases and things like that and learn about them and research them and learn from them. But it's, and look at pictures of the crime scenes and stuff. It's one thing to do that. It's a whole totally different ballgame to be one of the people to actually work on these crime scenes and see it in real life. Um, Go talk to the the people that clean up crime scenes. uh, My husband used to be that. Shit. Is he Mm -hmm. okay? I know, right? Like, uh, he did like water mitigation for a really long time. And when he lived in California, one of the companies that he worked at, they also did crime scene cleanup. Okay. And so he, they definitely, they asked their employees, like, if you are willing to do this, like, they didn't make their employees do it. That's good. And my husband was like, we're poor, you know, we're broke. And so he took everything he could get and he saw some stuff and it is not good. Well, by the time, thankfully, like when, by the time he gets there, he just sees the aftermath of it. There's not actual like... Even then. Pe- people laying there. You still see horrible things. And and the smell. Yeah. And the sounds. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah. I mean, obviously there, there wasn't just mental health effects. I mean, obviously there was. Oh, yeah. uh, everyone was paranoid as shit after that. You can't mm-hmm. trust anybody. Uh, you can't trust anything. No one wants to fly. No one wants to take a ship. Everyone's just scared out of their minds. Yeah. But not just that, there were physical things as well. If you weren't like, if you didn't have a broken bone or a burn, you had respiratory problems, asthma, Mm -hmm. lung inflammation, heart issues. It was just a a plethora of uh, all of these horrific physical ailments that were surfacing just due to like, if you were within like a couple miles of ground zero, you probably had lung damage. Right. That smoke reached far and wide, and especially for the first responders that were there actively for hours at a time. Mm -hmm. They really suffered with a lot of physical ailments and mental health, you know, issues after that. Uh, This is catastrophic. Yeah, there was, I think... I had heard, don't quote me on this, but we can look at it. Um, a lot of the like cleanup crew and stuff mm-hmm. and, and first responders years later were diagnosed with cancer and it was linked back to cleaning exactly. up in the debris. Exactly. You know? A lifelong effect. Right. And, and some of those people have passed now due to the cancer that was from 9-11. So it's like, yes, we that's the number over 3,000 people. But like that number just keeps climbing. 9-11 killed so many more than just yeah. thousands. It was mm-hmm. it was so much more than just yeah. the numbers that I've quoted. It may have taken longer to kill them. But right. And people were driven to suicide as well. We can't forget yeah. those people too that yeah. they lost friends and coworkers. They lost family. They lost mm-hmm. daughters and sons and aunts and uncles and strong people in the community that held certain, you know, villages together. Yeah. They lost that. 
And that is not something mm-hmm. so easily rectified. Right. This is catastrophic. It is unnecessary. And it was caused by a radical religious group. Yeah. And we need to talk about that. Yeah. That's And that's wh- what we're doing now. But first, a story. <laughs> Sorry. First, the story. <laughs> Segway. Segway. So last week, in the midst of my research, was like, I'm going to go to the antique mall because I <laughs> want to. <laughs> it, the, case, the case got too heavy. Also, it was my day off. So I was like, you know what? I'm not doing the hairs. I'm going to go stairs at the yeah. things. So yeah. I was looking around the flea mall. I had already been there for like an hour and a half and I was about to leave. It was a big flea mall, okay? Don't... <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm smiling because I'm like, I could be there for hours, especially if Seriously. it's like a... There's so much to look at. It's If it's a mall, not a market, you know, kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. I've been yeah. there for like an hour and a half and I was reaching the end of it and I was like, I was just staring at some blue glasses, not like glasses for your face, like to drink out of. Oh, and okay. They, they were so pretty. They were the cutest, prettiest. Spoiler alert, I did buy them. <laughs> but there was a lady that was walking nearby and she said, go ahead, grab a buggy. You got to fill up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe I will, you know, just like in passing. <laughs> and she was like, this is my booth. I'm Carol. And she like shook my hand. She was like, if you have any questions, just let me know. And I was like, oh, is this your only booth? And she said, oh, no, I have nine. And she took me on a tour of all nine. In the midst of this, I asked her, she was really good at like decorating. I said, what did you do for a living? Did you Were you an interior decorator? Because your booths are just supreme, just very yeah. organized and aesthetically pleasing. And she was like, oh, no, I was a flight attendant. And she was probably in her 60s, looked like. And I was like, oh, okay, do, how long did you do that? And she said, 30 years. And I said, I'm actually doing a true crime case on 9-11. Did you work on 9-11? And she said, I worked two days after 9-11. And I said, would you be willing to talk to me about it at all? If you're, if it's too much, don't, you know? And she was like, no, I'm, I'm happy to. And so she, Carol told me that she was at her boyfriend's house. She was in Europe at the time and she was, or no, no, no. She was supposed to go to Europe the next day. So it was 9-11. She got home Mm -hmm. like really, really early, like really early in the morning, like two in the morning. So about six hours before anything hits. Yeah. She's going to sleep. She's over it. She's jet lagged. Uh, She's got to make another flight out to Europe the next day. So she's catching up on Z's and then someone calls her and says, you need to go look at the TV. And she said, no, I'm going to sleep. And they said, you need to go now look at the TV. And she's like, I'm not, I'm going to sleep. And after a couple more... You need to go look at the TV. (laughs) Ernest, I really need you to go look at it because you're not going to work tomorrow, hun. And she was like, what do you, what? So she went and turned on the TV and she said it was just like, a complete shockwave of like hurt and horror and sorrow. And just, she just, flight attendants were stabbed and then died in a fiery explosion. Yeah. She's coming to to grips with the fact that I have coworkers that that could have been, or that could have been me. She's having to face that reality. So they called all the flight attendants, like, I forgot which airline she was with, but they said, hey, we need everybody 
to be ready to go because we have a bunch of our employees that are overseas. We need to get them back. So we need you guys on planes to go with pilots to go get them. We're not taking passengers, but we need you to go with them. And she was like, I can't do it. I cannot do this. No, I can't do it. So Mm -hmm. she waited two days and then she went back to work. And she said, at that time, they did have other passengers on the planes. It was not very many. People were not wanting to fly. Yeah. Obviously. And she said, during my whole like spill of like, whatever, flight attendants spill. I forgot what it is, but it's like safety yeah. things and right, things to right. expect. The announcements, right, yes. right. She said, I got through about a couple sentences and I broke down. And so the pilot pushed me to the side, you know, let me sit down. And and so he started and then he broke down and then she stood back up. Oh my gosh. And she did. And she said, that's all they could do. And all the passengers were bawling. They were bawling. It was just like, no one could get through it because it was just so like devastating and just heart-wrenching, you know? Oh my gosh. This is a perspective that I've never heard of before. That is so crazy. I hadn't either until I met Carol, which I'm right. glad I did. Shout out, Carol. I'm coming back to your booth. So you had some good shit. <laughs> but she told me on a fl- I'm not sure if it was that flight or the flight after that, there was a man who was of the Sikh religion. They wear turbans. Okay. So Sikh is an Indian religion. It has nothing to do with Islam. It's nothing to do with Saudi Arabia and anything to do with that stuff. So, but he has darker skin. So immediately there was red flags with everyone playing. Now she had, she was a well-traveled woman at that time. And she had been to India. She knew about the Sikh religion and she knew what they dressed like. And she mm-hmm. automatically was like, okay, not a big deal. Like, whatever. Right. But everyone was eyeing him. They were pointing at him. They were throwing things. They were like, there's a terrorist on board. There's a, they were like running up to her and other pilots and flight attendants saying like, there's a terrorist. And she said, no, no, no. He's he's of the Sikh religion. It's He's not Islam. He's okay. He's been checked by, you know, security. Like, everything's fine. We would not let anything like this happen. It's fine. Oh, my God. That poor man. I know. And she she said, I pulled him to the side. I said, I'm so sorry. He said, no, I understand. Like, this is hard for everybody. Like, I know it's not personal. Like, yes, it is hurtful, but like, it's not personal. I get it. But she just like profusely apologized. And I think she ended up moving him to a seat where he was like more by himself because everyone was just so freaked out and he couldn't like get any peace. And that was common all across America, not just on planes, but everywhere that like any Muslim person was attacked. Their houses were graffiti. Their families were ridiculed. They were They were assaulted. They were beat up. They were like robbed. I mean, there was so much chaos and paranoia, Mm -hmm. which like, it makes sense. I understand, but it's not right to do because Islam, the religion, is a peaceful religion. Mm -hmm. It is not violent (laughs) by any means. Actually, yeah, I have something I was going to say about that. Islam provides guidance in all aspects of life. 
it's unique in that it is not named after any one person. So like Christianity, Christ, it's named after mm-hmm. Christ. You follow the mm-hmm. teachings of Christ. But Islam is is not named after a person, a tribe, region, or culture. Islam is named after a belief in one God being Allah, uh, the Almighty God, and submission to His will. So in other words, you know, Muslims put Allah's will and, you know, teachings above their own. So it's, gotcha. it's all about like peace. There are a couple of pillars. To, there's five pillars to um, Islam. That is profession of faith, that there is no God, but the God of Muhammad, messenger of God. Prayer is a huge thing in Islam. So they pray about five times a day. You can pray more than that if you want to. But at right. least five times a day, I think, is normal. And they, like, wash their hands before they do it. They really get into, like, a headspace of, like, this is sacred and holy and peaceful. And this is a time to meditate with good teachings. So there's prayer. That's the second. Third would be alms, which is just community tithing. Fourth would be fasting. Fasting, I know, is kind of controversial. The reason that they do it is to heighten awareness and gratitude for all of their blessings. So it makes them even more grateful for the things that they're fasting from when they get to, you know, break the fast. And then the last one would be pilgrimage, which uh, there's a holy city called Mecca. And uh, it's the place that they visit that they believe that Abraham built like a, a the city for God and build okay. like certain okay. buildings there. So those are yeah. the five pillars that like they subscribe to. Nothing about that is violent. Nothing about no. that is inflicting harm on any person. So please do not leave this podcast thinking that Muslims are all these horrible things that like Al Qaeda pushed for. That was right. Not they are not Muslim. They're something right. different. Muslims are amazing people. Yeah. Just like you can take in a case like, I'm going to bring up Jonestown because that's like a lot of people know Jonestown. You can look at Jonestown and be like, make a justification with any kind of Christian crime case or cult that you can be like, okay, they took it to the extreme, but that's not all Christians. Same thing here. It's the same thing here. Okay. These people took the Islamic faith to such an extreme, they committed murder. And you will see that in cases that we plan to cover within many other religions, that they justify their killings because of their faith. And they're not actually using their faith and their their biblical or doctrinal beliefs to say, like, it's telling me to go kill. They're saying, well, because of this, I'm going to kill kind of thing. I hope that makes sense. Yes, it definitely does. And even though the vast majority of the world's Muslims, you know, they all oppose terrorism, religious Mm -hmm. intolerance, oppression of women, you know, these are prevalent things that Muslims, they do not partake in. Yeah. Let's talk about the religious group that did this. So firstly, Al-Qaeda obviously was the, the group that performed this horrible act. Al-Qaeda, it's actually called the base, like translated from Arabic. It's called the base. I would have never guessed that. I, right? It, it was an interesting never. fact. It was a broad-based militant Islamist organization founded by Osama bin Laden in the late 1980s. So it was just like a logistical network that supported Muslims that were fighting against the Soviet Union in the Afghan war. So 
it was uh, something kind of different, but it turned into radical extremist type thing. I had to go look up radical Islam because I, I, as I was researching the teachings, you know, of the Quran, I was like, there's, how are they getting violence from this? I'm very concerned. I don't see the connect here. Like, where did we go wrong right. kind of thing? Right. So the Quran is written by men. So jot that down. The Quran also is not, it's something to give a guideline, just like the Bible. A lot of things are taken out of context as can be with almost any religious text. So there are some verses in the Quran that are or seem violent or are taken out of context in order to justify violence. Here's a couple, uh, Quran 2, 191, slay the unbelievers wherever you find them. 328, must not take infidels as friends. 812, terrorize and behead those who believe in scriptures other than the Quran. And 923, make war on the infidels living in your neighborhood. These are just a couple. There are some more that are taken out of context, such as these. These are some of the Mm -hmm. main ones that really push for this like radical belief that if you don't subscribe to us, we have a problem. Yeah. Just like the Bible was used to justify slavery, uh, the Bible tells you, the Christian Bible tells you to go stone your child if they're unruly and not listening to you. So like stone your child to death. So like, exactly, there's violence heavily projected all throughout the Bi- Christian Bible. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not something synonymous with Islam. No, these are things taken out of context. Um, mm-hmm. So th- those verses, I don't want anyone to take them to heart for sure. Um this group was not only influenced, obviously, religiously, but the extremists in Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, they're from Arab nations. Really a huge point of this retaliation on the U.S. was because of our support for Israel amid the Persian Gulf War. 9-11 resulted in a, like a, just a conglomerate of factors that were political and religious. Yeah. Gotcha. And honestly, I don't know a lot about the politics in the Middle East because they are vastly different. Their laws look extremely different from ours. Right. And they don't really make sense to me. I'm not professional that like studies their economics or anything like that. So I'm not going to speak to all that stuff and whether there's a separation of church and state. I do not know any of that. Gotcha. I don't know about that. I just go know to YouTube. That, <laughs> go to YouTube. YouTube. Like go to Google. Anything like that. So <laughs> the Islamist extremism was stirred by the Iranian Revolution and Soviet invasion of Afghanistan with the assassination of the Egyptian president. Um, mm. This extremism turned anti-American because the U.S. supported Israel and we like repressed. Arab regimes or something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. My fiance told me this earlier that Israel, we had given them support in some realm. I don't know. And they pretty much like kicked a bunch of people's asses and took over a bunch of land. So they had pissed Um, off a lot of people. Gotcha. I don't know. I don't know the full context. Y'all, y'all history buffs out there, you'll let me know, I'm sure. But it was that on top of religion. So it wasn't completely religiously charged, but that was a huge portion of the soul. So it's basically the politics pissed them off. So it, they let their religion justify their means to satisfy their frustrations with the politics that was going on. AKA um, January 6th, the insurrection at the Capitol. 
they were Christians and they prayed to Jesus after they took it over. So they used their religion to justify their political frustrations. Yes. See, it's it's not just happening on our side of the world. It's it's everywhere kind of thing. So yeah. And I know that I keep harping on this. This is like the 17th time I've done this in this episode, but I'm no, going to continue to do it because there like Muslims and people of color and people of other religions that aren't like Christians here in America get yeah. so much hate and they're a major minority group. So I'm going to harp on it until the end of the episode. So no, for it. sure. But I, I mean, <laughs> and we see, I mean, as white people that live in a <laughs> really white-led country, it's like, yeah, we got to... We got to talk about the fact that mm-hmm. we're a lot of us are a problem over here. So it's not yeah. like we've got it all together. So right, and it happens on our land too. That's not even our land. That's a totally different story. True, and we'll talk about that another You're day. Right. Anyways, keep going, Lola. <laughs> yes, politics were a factor. Let's go back to the radical beliefs, though, because I was lost on all of the uh, how they got from the Quran teachings. Yes, so okay. Obviously, those Bible verses, not Bible, sorry. Obviously, those verses in the Quran were taken out of context. And a lot of people definitely like harp on those. Like, yeah, if they're not with Islam teachings, then fuck them, you know? Yeah. The underlying element for radical Islam worldview is a historic, meaning no care for history or tradition, and dichotomous, so very divided. It's black, white, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no no gray. Right. And that perfection lies in the ways of the Prophet Muhammad, which was, uh, if you're not familiar with Muhammad, just equate him to our Jesus on this side, you know, with Christianity. Muhammad was like a teacher for Islam, so. Gotcha. Which, like I said before, a typical, normal, healthy, whatever Muslim that is a true Muslim is subscribing to the will of Allah, not of Muhammad. Gotcha. So, jot that down. Okay. I'm talking about right now radical worldview. So, it's very black and white. They don't give a shit about history or tradition. And perfection is in the way of Muhammad only. And the events of his time, which were a long-ass time ago. Right. Therefore, any religious innovations, philosophical relativism, and intellectual or political pluralism, like holding two truths at once kind of thing, are void. Are they're not with it. They they don't get with the times. The times get with them. They don't. Yeah, that. Oh, God, that's frustrating. So it's like, it's very (laughs) non-progressive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how many times have you guys heard me say two truths can, you know, two things can be true at one time? Yeah, they can't sit with that. They can't sit with that for sure. So after figuring out all of that, it kind of uh, sheds more light on their mindset and why they were so ready to die for a cause that honestly wasn't worth it. Because what did you do? What did you do? You know, like, yes, you made an impact on our country. However... There was such a strength that came from our country, you know, Yeah, out of it. There, there was a lot of hope born out of it. So many people came together in those times. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, from the little research I did years ago, I did hear that, like, boats and stuff were going across. Like, I don't know if that's, like, the harbor that's right there, like, near the... Um, mm-hmm. Twin Towers and stuff, but they were like trying to rescue people that were just like, these are just like regular ships and regular people. These aren't part of like search and rescue type 
organizations or groups. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, they showed up. They showed up and they didn't have to. And we sent a lot of support wherever people were hurting, you know? Right. People showed up to help clean up the wreckage. And uh, you had nurses traveling. You had doctors traveling to go treat those people. Right. I mean, it was incredible the ways that we showed up for the community that needed us. Yeah. And let's talk about church, though, here. Let's talk about the effects that happened Mm -hmm. here. Because I was wondering if you were going to talk about this. We had some. (laughs) Like we were saying before, stereotypes and phobias were starting to kind of pick up when it comes to, you know, Muslims or anyone that looks different from you that's not white, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone was scared of everyone. So it was a very like us versus them mindset, digging our heels in more than ever with like, if you're not white and Christian, you're a bad person. (laughs) Yeah. So the church was purposefully separating itself from specific demographics, specifically. So at the beginning of 2002, church attendance did pick up in the U.S. because disaster tends to drive us into the belly of religion, you know, which there is nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Wherever you need to seek hope and you need to seek light, you go where you need to go. That's fine. It is hard for people to sit in discomfort yeah. and sit in the nuances of tragedy. Um, I actually made a TikTok video that I'm posting tomorrow about this. But it's hard for a lot of people to do that, especially Christians. Mm-hmm. And they need answers. It's very black and white. Like, I need answers. I need somebody to explain. We need to make logic sense of this whole thing. The why yeah. needs to be answered for a lot of people. I need the why and I need to be able to blame somebody. A lot of the time, that is how it goes, for sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we needed logical answers as to why. And that was out of reach. Actually, though, the numbers declined. So, like, they picked up, but then they declined. Mm-hmm. They were back to normal pretty soon after. I mean, 2003, it was like, really by the end of 2002, it was, the numbers were just kind of teetering off. People were like, okay, I guess we're fine now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So another thing that kind of pushed people into Christianity, the arms of Christianity, was also the fact that there was a cross in the rubble at ground zero. Oh, shit, I forgot about this. This was not a real cross. This was not a cross that was like made specifically as a cross. It was steel that was left over in the shape of a T, a lowercase T, that looked kind of like a cross. <laughs> Which happens a lot of times in construction. It does. Like it's a T's. very secure type of... If you, <laughs> if you want to find a cross, like I could find six crosses looking in front of me and I don't prescribe to Christianity and it's not not one of them would be a decoration piece. So oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for yeah. it, you're going to find for it. For sure. So... You know, everyone thought this was a sign of hope and a sign that God is with us. Some people took it to that that side. You know, th- there were there were yeah. two opposing sides to Christianity at this point in time. One said, God is with us. You know, this happened for a reason to bring us together. And all hope is not lost. And that was great. I'm with them. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. We can get past this together. We can band together. We can work in love and get things done and get this shit taken care of. However, there was an (laughs) adverse effect on the opposing side. I think I know where you're going with this. (laughs) There was an adverse effect on the opposing side. And that was that God had sent 
9-11 to happen. Uh-huh. That it was because we were living in sin because uh-huh. the water's turning the frogs gay. <laughs> I can give us some comedic relief here at the end, okay? We're past, we're past all the there bad parts. We honor and respect everyone, you know, that that passed and that gave their life and worked very hard to bring the city back to what mm-hmm. it needed to be. And no one deserved the hurt or the death that happened. So I just want to go ahead and acknowledge that now. And I will say, are we harder on Christianity? Yes. Why? Because we were both in that religion. Okay, because so it's yes, prevalent we are naturally, here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's prevalent here and we have Christian nationalism that's starting to take over our country. So yes, we are going to be harsher when it comes to Christians. Um, We've got more critiques the for them. Christian extremists. Yeah. We, and, we, and we We've will. We've got more and critiques. That, that won't change. <laughs> yeah. So Reverend Jerry Falwell, I think that's how you say it. Far, fall, Falwell? Falwell? Falwell. Maybe. Jerry Falwell. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and Pat Robertson <laughs> yeah. kind of set off this whole idea. <sighs> Dick sex. Uh, now, they asserted these ideas that of their own, of their own, on TV. We love the televangelists, don't we? Yeah, they're just a bunch <laughs> of dildos. That an angry God. Actually, I like dildos. I don't like them. So, never mind. I take that back. Yeah, we like dildos, <laughs> but we don't like these people. These Pat and Jerry. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so they... <laughs> yeah, they, they said an angry God had allowed the terrorists to succeed because the United States had become a nation of abortion, homosexuality, secular schools and courts, and the American Civil Liberties Union. Mm-hmm. Lacey, you have things to say. I was... Uh... <laughs> her face. You guys can't see her face, but her face, she's got things to say. Yeah, so so fucking bad. Which we will cover it in another case, but the Westboro Baptist Church. I have, I probably have one of, I'm like one of probably the top 10 people that know the most about the fucking Westboro Baptist Church. I have done <laughs> such a deep dive into that. And I think it was actually like a two-parter on my on my YouTube channel back back like a year ago or whatever. But like- Back in the day. They would say the same shit. Like, yeah. you're so like, God, let your soldier die because we let gay people in this country and we're okay with gayness. And oh God, God allowed 9-11 because the gays have brought destruction upon us. It's always the gays. Why? I didn't know I had that much power. I know, right? Honestly, I didn't know. I am drinking soy milk and minding my own business. Right. I can't roll my goddamn motherfucking eyes enough every time I hear people say shit like this. Like, God let it happen. If that's the God that you serve, you should get a new God too. <laughs> yeah, especially when they say God made this happen. Or, orchestrated you know, it. Or, or orchestrated it, especially when it comes to these big events. And I still even get frustrated when people say God let such and such happen so that he could, God could help you with another thing. And it's like, okay, so God tortured me or God caused me to have injury over here so that he could help me in over here. Like, that's an abusive person. That's not a healthy relationship. And adversely with the whole, like, God has done this to, sh- to, to show something about his power or to, like, help you mm-hmm. glorify him too. Like, yeah. ad- adversely mm-hmm. with positive things too. It's like, we just yeah. give a lot of credit to a God that, I'm sorry. He's very sadistic. Where where are you at, boy? Where are you at? I'm checking my watch. Like <laughs> <laughs> like you have one on and you don't. <laughs> my, my bare watch. 
<laughs> I have a tan line right here. That's really nice. You do. That's great. Um, when people would say like, God, let this happen. So it could be part of your testimony. It can make you a stronger Christian. Fuck my testimony. Like, are you? Ugh. Yeah. We give God a lot of credit for, for some things that I don't really think God needs to take credit on. He, no, no. Yes. He, I swear he face palms himself all the time. Like, I didn't say that, or I didn't need that, or that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> Stop Jesus it. would be like, the fuck is happening? Send me back, man. Send me back. I didn't yes. get it. Yeah. Rewind. I didn't Rewind. get it the first time. <laughs> oh, God. It's, yeah. Praise be. I get so irritated. I get triggered. I literally get triggered when people say, yeah, like God made that happen or God let that happen. Or, There's, which, I, yeah, a God of love would never, ever have done that. I hope none of you genuinely believe that God would cause or orchestrate anything bad to happen to you. Mm -hmm. If anything, I just hope that you believe that God is with you in all those moments, you know, ready to comfort you. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. that's nine eleven. That's the uh, that's the religious aspects behind it. And please be nice to all your Muslim friends because no, they are not yes. terrorists and they're just living their own life. Please don't rip off their head coverings and please don't yeah. attack them or anything like that. Yeah. And if you can justify that the KKK is religious extremists on our side of Christianity, you then you can justify that the, um, you know, these people were go. extremists with Muslims. Sit with uh, that. Islam. Sit with that. Yeah. See, there are two sides to every coin. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll end it there. Uh, actually, I we need a palate cleanser. We definitely. I was going to say, can we have a palate cleanser? Definitely need a palate cleanser after that. You got a palate cleanser this week? Here, what is mine? I forgot everything that happened this week. Every time we get to this point. You know what? I told myself earlier, I was like, that'll be my palate cleanser. And my bitch ass forgot what I was going to say. I said that to myself earlier too. <sighs> Our palate cleanser is just pretending that we have one actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I have a palate cleanser. Okay, cool. Here's some good news. Today, on July 19th, 2023, a veterinarian conference turns into a free clinic to care for the pets of Denver's homeless. What? Yep. That's right. I love that. Super inspiring. Yeah. This year's annual convention yeah. for the American Veterinarian Medical Association has been turned into a medical care drive for the companion animals of the homeless population in the Denver area. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. That's so cute. Yes. I love that. If you guys ever want to just know good news. So if your news outlet that you subscribe to is just not super nice all the time, there's something called goodnewsnetwork.org. Uh, and they always have something good every single day that they report on. So if you ever need a palate cleanser, just aside from ours, go here, you'll find something. And it's amazing. They also have a, a section called good gifts, and then also good talks. So Check that out. I'm trying to find there's somebody I follow or an account I follow yeah. on Instagram that does the same thing uh, where it only gives good news. And it's really amazing stuff that they give. Oh, shoot. I can't find it, but I will find it and I will tag it in the show notes so you guys can find it. Because so, some of the stuff that they post about is like so uplifting and so amazing. Also, I'm going to give you guys a, a TikTok account. To We're just doing recommendations. At, Our palate cleanser is just recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> Which this is going to come out a week before September 11th. And right now it is July 19th. And so yes. <laughs> we record um, quite a bit of ahead of time. Yes. We're and very so hopefully prepared. they're still doing 
Hopefully they're still doing these videos so you guys can go crack up about them. It is the San Diego Zoo's TikTok account. You guys need to go check that shit out. I was laughing my fucking ass out. Oh my God. I know what you're talking about. Yes, I agree. The platypus, <laughs> like it talks about the platypus, but it uses one of the like um, voice filters. Yes. And he, what does he call it? He's like, it looks like a a duck trying to go out of a beaver. Yes. That's what it looks like. And then they, one of their videos, they're talking about the capybara and he calls it a, oh, what was he called? I called it like a Karen, some kind of capybara. That's capybara. Capybara. That's what they called me in high school. Laughing. That's good. They're, oh, really? No. Capybara. <laughs> Oh, I was like, it's a stupid it joke. So if anyone, <laughs> if anyone subscribes to Rhett and Link, I Rhett, I love Rhett, Rhett always Link. says that's what they called me in high school. You know, like to a random oh, phrase. Okay, yeah. I so forgot. I, I have kind of picked it up from Rhett. Rhett, please notice this podcast. Please notice us. I admire your work so much. I love you, Rhett. We love you, Link. Oh my gosh. I, if you ever listen to this, which like probably, probably not, not ever, but, but <laughs> um, a girl, a girl can dream. Um, I watched Rhett and Link from like the get go, the beginning of their heyday. Yeah. And so they were in their like little shed <laughs> in their backyard and like, I think it was like North or South Carolina. South, I cannot remember which one. Was it South Carolina? Okay, that's what I was going to say. So yeah, I, I I followed their entire journey from the very beginning. Um, I haven't watched their stuff as like consistent because they have so much stuff that comes uh-huh. out and I've become a mom and you know so I don't I don't watch them a whole lot but they were one of the first people I watched their deconstruction video and like podcast or whatever about that when I first started deconstructing because I was like I know these guys like <laughs> it helped but yeah so yeah that's the show that is 9-11 go take a bath go drink a margarita unless you're... Drink some hot chocolate. Uh, you're clean. Yeah, there you go. You're, you in case have, you're clean. alcohol. <laughs> unless you're clean. Like, I meant like um, a recovering. If you're in recovery, then like don't do not do that. Go drink a tea. Pet a dog. Or soda. Kiss a cat. Pet a dog. Do whatever you want. Just do something nice for yourself it's today dope. and go look at the goodnewsnetwork.org. That is all for now. Yeah, don't do crime. Don't join a cult. And we'll see you next time. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us a review because your salvation depends on it. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, leave us a review because we would absolutely love it. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Howe. Thanks for listening. 